Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good morning, Joe. We are recording today's episode in the morning of Friday, the 5th of February. Um, we had a little present from the Bank of England yesterday with their first Monetary Policy Committee minutes and report of the year. So we'll spend some time looking at that today. Um, there's also some interesting updates that could impact retail, business rates, landlord enforcement. Um, so we'll spend a bit of time looking there too. And finally, frustratingly, it's not been published yet, but it's due imminently, we understand. The proposals to overhaul UK corporate governance um, and audit oversight have been trailed and we're, we're expecting publication next week. So we'll have a little look and, and talk about what we know so far about, about that. That's obviously long overdue. Um, it's been through quite a few consultations, I think. But finally, we might get some um, some concrete proposals. Right. So should we start with the MPC Reports, Why not? Uh, why not? Well, here we go. Um, uh, the MPC minutes show that um, the bank thinks that the final position at the end of 2020 will be that GDP will be 8% down. Which is better, isn't it? Than, than yes, that's better. I, I, I'm, I'm still struggling with that. But if that's what the Bank of England thinks, and, and it must have quite a lot of data by this stage, mm. Um and and the full outturn for 2020 is is, is due with us quite soon. Yeah, so month, we'll it? see. Mm-hmm. They, but it's then, a kind of give it with one hand and take it away with the other, isn't it? Yes, right. because lo and behold, Q1 2021, which has already started, of course, um, is being predicted as being a 4% drop. So by the end of March, we will be 12% down in GDP. And that's enormous, isn't it? Because and, and let's remember that their forecast, both the OBR and the Bank of England, were forecasting a rise of I think about one point nine percent ish, if my memory is right. So that that to have a go from one point nine growth to a four percent fall is a big difference. Yes, because obviously we've got lockdown, and of course we have Brexit, and I think you you managed to pull out of the detail of all yeah. of this. <laughs> it's um, quite a long way down in the detail, but the MPC think that the Brexit impact, they don't call it that, that the um, the lack of the, the the previous trading arrangements with the um, EU accounts for 1%, they say. Which actually has been a number that's been floating about for quite a long time now, um, although originally 1% was going to be the impact of a no-deal okay. Brexit. Now we have a deal Brexit and mm. we've still got the 1%. Um, so we'll see. But then it gets very interesting because um, clearly uh, Andrew Bailey has gained access to Andy Haldane's happy pills because they are saying that all of that 12% will be pulled back in the last three quarters of the year. I mean, and that is huge. That is that is definitely way away from the OBR. Um, it's it's miles off, and the the point that they bring out to support this theory of the of the runaway upward bound economy um, is that there are they reckon there's 125 billion of accumulated savings during the pandemic, ready and raring to go to spend money in the last nine months of the year. And the question I ask, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just raising the flag of of, um, uh, mild scepticism. I ask myself, what are people going to spend £125 billion on that they're not already spending it on? And, uh, you know, 
the obvious answer is hospitality. Well, hospitality probably will only be operating at anything like full throttle for the last eight months of the year and maybe the last seven. And it mm-hmm. only accounts for five to six percent of the economy. So that ain't going to be 12 percent, even even if people go mad in restaurants and pubs. Um, travel is the other big area. Um, and yes, of course, there's going to be a boom in staycationing because let's face it, nobody's flying anywhere. Well, this, quite. this year. And also, or... I think it's it's important to remember that the you know I know you're speaking from the position of having had your um, jab already, but yeah. for for the younger, I still I still count myself as vaguely in the younger proportion. We're not really expecting to get um, vaccinated until like, September time probably at the earliest so there are still going to have to be social distancing regulations and you know there are going to be restrictions on um hospitality i would imagine you know throughout the summer which is you know obviously a key um a key part so we'll see i I mean i think to be honest with you um another interesting little tidbit that came out of this was uh the bank ordering um uh banks uh to prepare for negative interest rates by mid 2021 to get their IT systems yep. in order. I mean, I, I, I think the bank was careful to say they didn't necessarily expect this would happen, but they did reserve the right to go that route if the economy doesn't start to recover. It's really hard. I kind of read, there's quite an agonising, it's an interesting little section in the report where they're agonising the pros and the cons and saying, well, on the one hand, you know, we don't want to, to be seen to be saying this is what we're going to do. But the other hand, you know, we know we've got to give um, banks time to prepare and we want yeah. to have this in the toolkit if we need it so on balance it seemed like a sensible approach yes. to um to take but yeah I, I wouldn't necessarily read too much into no. um into that either way at the moment it's no. um sorry what are you gonna you, you say so the other the, the other interesting thing that was covered in the minutes was business investment levels yeah in fact i was about to okay. say the same um, thing i'm ahead of you um they're <laughs> Always. Uh, sharper elbows in this discussion um <laughs> And the, it highlights the fact that uh, business investment is still hideously weak. It was 19% down in Q4 2020 by comparison with the year yeah. previously. And they expect it to be 23% down in Q1 2021. And uh, if, if we move on, well, no, we'll come back to that point about in, in investment because there's some interesting numbers in the in the ONS uh, bi-monthly survey, which we're going to move on to. Uh, and of course, the last point in the minutes was the unemployment yes. prospects, where they say that they now expect unemployment to peak at 7.8% in the middle of 2021, which is 2.7 million people, mm. which, which is you know such a stark and, and, and depressing number. Um, and even then, I think you know, there's, there's, that's one of those um, numbers, isn't it? That there's quite a lot of uncertainty about how the, those those figures are, are put together, and you know, yes. that there's, there's a kind of sense that that is actually an underestimate of yeah. the the actual numbers of people who um, who would like to be in work and who, who aren't. So that's something to to come back on. I just wonder whether we should say because it was something we talked about last week, and I mentioned in my um, LinkedIn post about the GDP calculation um, ah, yes. figures and that's a really interesting it's worth a listen so it's more or less <coughs> from last week I think it's in my I'll, I'll put the link again um, in this but I've been puzzling about this this substantial fall in in the UK GDP compared to other um, countries and there was um, a chap on the the BBC more or less um, program who was explaining about the the way the UK has tried to measure 
GDP as output in education and health terms. So rather than just doing what lots of other countries do, which is measuring the salaries, like I said, the input to, um, to these sectors, um, UK statisticians have tried to really look at the output. So of course, when schools closed and when hospital operations stopped, um, that had quite a big impact on the, the output for those sectors. Whereas the other um, the other countries are, are tending to use the input measures. And one of our listeners made a very wise comment on my LinkedIn post to say, well, actually, that could well mean that the, recover- the GDP recovery is correspondingly sharper at the other end once these things. So that, that was kind of an interesting thing to, yeah, um, to, to mention. Very good. Segwaying neatly into the ONS's bi-monthly, um, they call it the Business Impact of Coronavirus Survey, uh, which they do twice a month. And the latest one covers events up to the 2nd of February. So it's very current. Very recent, yeah. And uh, we talked just now about unemployment. Um, they identify from their survey that we now have 18% of the UK workforce on furlough which is 6 million people, and that has gone up sharply in the last two weeks. It's gone up from 16% or 5.3 million. So there's an extra 700,000 people on furlough in the last two weeks. And that's, let's remind us, I said the, the furlough scheme, as it stands, come to an end at the end of April, doesn't it? Yes. So we've got the budget, um, 3rd of March, I think, and then that, that scheme runs. So we, we may still see some more supports possibly targeted. I don't know whether that's... Um, yes, <clears throat> yes, I, I, I think that's highly right, uh, highly, highly likely. Um, the other key points um, from the ONS survey, 14% of businesses have no or low confidence in surviving the next three months. Um, have no cash reserves and 43% have, another 43%, have less than six months cash reserves. And uh, quite an interesting point that comes back to what you're saying about business investment. 11% of their companies they surveyed, um, their CapEx, capital expenditure, was lower than normal. 12%, their capital expenditure had stopped altogether. Oh, my goodness. So 23% of all businesses nearest down it, one in four, um, have trimmed back on on investment. And stock levels in these businesses, 13% of them uh, were saying stock levels were lower than normal. Mm. So that's a whole stream of entirely predictable but absolutely depressing negative trends, um, which we hope will, will begin to reverse once the lockdown yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pull back because actually one of the things um, I, that, that sprang out of me, the, the, going back to the MPC um, report, on, they had this section on lending to small businesses. And here, I mean, again, this is, this is not surprising particularly. There was a Federation of Small Businesses, um, Small Business Index Survey in Q4. And um, that was reporting that banks are really having a reduced appetite to lend to small businesses outside of the... Um, business interruption loans and the bounce back loans um, and they're saying that that is particularly affecting retail hospitality sectors yep. who perhaps have had the um, the government back loans and are now seeking other ways to finance through to the um, to kind of the promised land of May June time so yeah that's yes, and, and, and that plays into a very interesting comment um, that I got from a partner at um a leading insolvency firm I was chatting to this week. And I was just asking him, 
how his business was going and how you know what were the trends. And he said, well, they're they're busy, but nowhere near as busy as they expected to be at this point. Um, and and this sort of folksy comment came out to support this. He said, I was chatting to one director who we'd been put in touch with to check whether he needed specialist insolvency or restructuring advice. Mm-hmm. And the guy just sort of batted me away and said, well, as long as I can keep borrowing money to put food on my family's table, why would I stop? So mm-hmm. we we are going to have a major problem with uh, zombie companies distorting markets all over the place when yeah. this thing begins to uh, begins to unwind. And, and bear in mind, you know, in terms of public data on this, and this is something that I know um, quite a lot of the insolvency professional um, uh, across about, is there's not really that much visibility. In fact, there's no visibility on the detail of the, the C-bills and the, and the bounce back loan. So you have the aggregated figures. You don't know who's got those. And of course, we won't know until this time next year when when we start to see those in, yeah. in reported balance sheets. So it's actually quite difficult to to really I get a, a sense of, um, of, the, of the level I, of the problem. I know. Um, one last point from the um, ONS survey Inbound shipping visits uh, to the UK in the last week of January were down by a third on 2019, which is a mix of the shambles going on with um, European shipments. And, uh, of course, it also reflects the fact that the pandemic has completely disrupted the shipping uh, industry with containers in the wrong places and huge increases in costs. Yeah, so the treble since June, I think, is in one of the stats I read. It's yeah, the shipping rates. I mean, just yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. So lots of lots of um, stats there. Apologies for drowning in all our listeners in. In, in in lots of uh, numbers, but well, we can now move on to something we don't know so much about. So we we can we move on to the world of speculation, which is the corporate governance overhaul. Yes, um, uh, piece. Yeah. Right now, the um, uh, business department. I can never give it its full name, but anyway, let's call it. Let's call it Bayes. So we can call it Bayes. Bayes. It was the board, when I was a youngster, it was called the Board of Trade. Would you believe? <laughs> uh, which it briefly was again under Peter Mandelson. But there we go. Um, it is consulting, and it's an unusually long consultation period, 16 weeks, mm. very, very long. And the consultation document it's put out asking for comments is 200 pages worth. It's enormous. Does it actually come out? I didn't think it had actually come out. Yeah, I think we're, isn't that oh, well, isn't it, it, we're about it, it, to drop, it, it, I think, next week? I think we've got insider it, views of it. So I think it's been leaked. Yes, a I, I mean, a lot of, in, uh, they're, they're clearly, it's, they're, they're leaking it to, to manage expectations. Yeah. And it's going to it's going to replace the um, much discredited um, Financial Reporting Council with a snappily entitled Audit Reporting and Governance Authority. Mm-hmm. I was I was looking at the um, acronym and couldn't find anything too sporty, which is just as well. Um, and it, amongst other things, and it's going to basically extend audit regulation from listed companies the regulation by this new body the quality of audit this is a this is an audit quality um enforcement body so it's going to go from listed companies to include large private companies and possibly also charities universities and trade unions i think the trade unions be very happy with that Um, and they're creating a, a new concept called public interest entities which is how they're going to catch charities. Um, 
And so this body will have a much wider remit than, it, than its, uh, its present incarnation. And the, uh, among other things, the consultation document is going to ask for opinions on is the, uh, the splitting of, big, of the big audit firm, big accounting firms, um, and requiring them to split away their consultancy arms. Yeah. Uh, which is a process that has sort of been... I think it started, hasn't it? I it think, has I like started, there's, there's so I think moves. they're a bit behind the curve there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to require auditors... Now, here's something that may blow a mind or two, to actively look for fraud and abuse. That's now, you probably I thought, thought, I thought they did already. Did. I thought that was already part of the remit. But if I can go back to a phrase that I grew up on when I was training as an accountant a very long time ago... One of the, um, uh, the the watchwords about the role of an auditor was, and I quote, he is meant to be a watchdog, not a bloodhound. I think we're into bloodhound territory mm. from here on in. I mean, this is this is all to do with and you know some very, very high profile failures of auditing and 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 accounting. And the last point, which is the one that I think is very relevant, is that the business department is talking about making directors potentially personally liable for losses caused by accounting errors. And they're looking here at cases like Patisserie Valerie and the Missing twenty-five million pounds worth of cream cakes, yeah, um, and and Carillion, and Carillion. With, its ra- mm. with its rather strange yeah. accounting contract accounting uh, method yeah. methodology. So that is a that's going to be a really really big shake-up. I mean, I think my views about the futility of auditing are very well known, um, but uh, and 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 the appalling lack of proper regulation of of, of audit standards so let's hope this uh it, it marks a new dawn absolutely and i think it'll be interesting that the white paper will again we'll, we'll post a link to that when it comes out um and again with all these consultations i mean this is our experience in the the company's house consultations for example it's always worth reading through and even if you're not interested in all of it if you've got an opinion on some of the um some of the parts of the consultation it's worth just putting um, putting up responses into those those parts of the questions, and the more yeah. voices, um, the the better. And the, you know, our experience again, Bayes were overseeing the company's house um, consultation. They do want to engage. They are actually kind of actively looking for um, for input and best practice and things. So I feel that this mm-hmm. this is a, a positive thing to to be doing. But again, you know, you have that time lag, and you, you just yeah. wonder how how long it will take. From um, I know. <laughs> occasionally, you know, it's frustrating. The the years tick by. Um, with these things shall we just um go back to to retail now yes. the, the couple of interesting points that you've um you picked up on retail this week yeah the, fir- the first one that wandered across my path was uh, a, a, an article by um in, on a website called big hospitality um which highlighted that a particular landlord we can name it because it's in the public domain criterion capital mm-hmm. have issued county court claims against three of their major tenants. One is um, the casual cafe business, Cafe Concerto. There mm-hmm. are three of them in Piccadilly, if you happen to be in, yes. in London. Sorry, there are when think these, these places this are open. open. Yeah. Uh, Chain Call Five Guys and one other. Uh, two of those county court claims are for over a million pounds. Wow, wow. And 
this led me to wonder if at the moment the but how does it how do the county court claims work can you can you just kind of talk us through because at, at the moment you're not able to have a winding up petition or not able to enforce rent so is the county court judgment it, system a, a kind of backdoor into this? well i think i think it's more laying the ground for right, okay. having a judgment so having an enforceable debt when they are allowed to cool. take to take action so i, I think they're limbering up because when um, the business department uh, extended the landlord enforcement ban until the end of March. They were very, very clear that this would be the last extension. Now, you know, when 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 is you know never say never about these things. But there are a lot of landlords owed a vast amount of money. Mm. Some of them by tenant by tenants who are clearly able to pay, but have chosen not to. And um, you know, so we are looking at, I think, the early stages of what could become a very ugly situation, yeah. very ugly situations, uh, situation. Uh, and then yesterday, um, I picked up through a mate of mine who is a business rates expert. He's, you know, that's, that's his business, is dealing with business rates issues. And um, he picked up that the uh, Treasury has told local authorities not to issue business rate bills until after the budget. And that is interesting. I mean, let's let's hope that is a, a good a good sign. Well, well the, the interesting point here is that I, I don't think there's anybody outside the Treasury that thinks that hospitality and many chunk parts of retail can possibly survive mm. unless that business rates holiday is extended. Question is, how long will they extend it, and will they target it? Will it be focused particularly at certain sectors? Because mm. um, we've had all, in the um, the supermarkets famously have given back mm. the, um, the the business rates they paid the business rates that they would otherwise have not had to pay. So you know, there's a precedent for for segmenting, isn't there? And and kind of paying corporate. You know, goodness me, the devil's in the detail with that. It becomes a very yeah. difficult thing to actually. You know, it's all very well having a principle, but to try and actually then apply that in a in a framework that works is, um, I, I, is not I, easy. I agree. Uh, um, unsurprisingly, another of the stats on retail that came out from the ONS survey was that footfall has collapsed in January. Well, you know, Quite where on earth are people going? So of course the footfall has uh, has crashed. Um, you know, it will recover quite sharply once um uh once once we're out of lockdown and um, whenever that might be. Um so those are those are two, maybe three big points on on retail. And if we have a moment, Joe, I just can't let the you know everybody on this call is um, is a bit of a connoisseur of of debts and balance sheets and viability. That's that's what we all do. And um, there was a sort of gasp of disbelief when the terms of the financing uh, the financing structure of the ASDA mm. deal, mm -hmm. the Walmart sale of ASDA, emerged, and it was very neatly summed up by uh, one tweet I saw uh, this morning, um, which pointed out that ASDA will go from before the deal to having no external debt and three and a half billion pounds worth of freehold property assets to 3.4 billion pounds worth of net debt <gasps> and having shed a big chunk of those property 
assets because you know, this is being financed. You know, uh, the uh, the forecourt, the, the petrol stations are going to the purchasers' other business. Yeah. The entire warehouse and distribution business, its assets are being sold and leased back. Mm-hmm. And we all know, we all know what happens with big sale and leaseback deals. Um, the, it really uh, ends the, well, lit- the litany of business of, of business scandals and business problems, big big time ones, is littered with sale and leaseback deals mm. that uh, didn't work out. And there's going to be three and a half billion pounds worth of debt. I don't think we know what the coupon, the interest rate on that is going to be, but it won't be low. Mm. Um, so, so that's I think one to keep an eye on, isn't it, really? To, um... Yeah, I mean, we're not saying that there's anything wrong with Asda in its new hands. My worry is that that sort of structure, as we have seen in many retail businesses and in my other specialist field of social care uh, care homes mm. if you burden a company with too much debt the answer is it isn't as nimble as it might need to be in a very competitive market like mm. like the grocery and it's been and it's fairly benign at the moment you know grocery has been one of the winners hasn't it of the of the pandemic relatively yeah. um and presumably that will that will not last forever yeah i mean the problem the problem is if you don't invest in these businesses um they fall behind they become vulnerable um and uh, it's yeah, I have an issue with over overburdening a company with debt, but hey, I'm probably old fashioned. Well, we'll see. We'll come back and, um, we'll come, and see how we'll, that pans we'll, out. We'll um, thanks very much, Nick. I just suppose in conclusion, I, I, I feel like the last um, 10 months or so, we've been in a slightly kind of holding pattern. Um, and with the vaccine rollout, let's be, make no bones about this. The vaccine rollout is going incredibly well. Um and, you know, it seems like we can dare hope that there might be some light at the end of the tunnel. But, you know, with all the economic cushion starting to be um, coming to an end, it just feels like that light, instead of being kind of nice, hazy, warm sunlight, might be a bit more of a kind of interrogation, bright light. And for businesses coming out of this, um, it, of this uh, situation. Joe, it, Joe, it might be a train coming down the track. Well, for businesses, maybe, maybe. I think we, we've, we've really got to be mindful that, that things are going to change and change quite rapidly over the coming months um in terms of businesses so yeah now is a, a time to really be on top of those um those risks and those potential potential risks you have because as i think we've said before probably quite recently um all history post-war says that the peak moment for business risk and for business failure is not in a recession it's six to 18 months afterwards as you know all these chickens these these liability chickens come home to roost and as businesses start to grow without having the strength to support the uh, the expansion mm. so please be careful about the risks as we indeed. come out of this indeed so thank you very much for your um, insight nick as always thanks everybody for listening until next time goodbye goodbye